What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Tonight on Fast, stocks soar on the back of the Fed, but one of our guests says too little, too late. Why he thinks investors are too optimistic and are going to get hurt. Plus, the next big takeout target, one top biotech analyst has three stocks on his radar that could be taken out. We'll bring you the names. And later, Pete is taking to the mound to throw out his best idea why he thinks this payment stock is money in the bank. And we start off with that Fed-fueled rally. Stocks erasing early losses, closing at the highs of the day after the central bank doubled the size of the taper and moved up its forecast for rate hikes. The S&P up more than a percent and a half. The Nasdaq jumping more than 2%, leading the way big tech. Apple, Amazon, and the company formerly known as Facebook, Meta, all rising more than 2%. Those three companies adding more than $150 billion in market cap today alone. So did the Fed erase all that uncertainty? And is this the green light for markets into year end and maybe into next year? Tim, what do you say? Uh, it feels like old times, Mel. And, and uh, but I think most importantly, the, the places that you needed to see the cyclical rally, you got. It. I mean, look at semiconductors up over four percent and within one percent of all-time highs again. Did the Fed tell you they're worried about inflation, but 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 relieve markets? I think to the downside, maybe uh, in terms of the downside of their their inflation expectations. Um, or where they could be stepping further than the market was possibly pondering into today. But anyway, I, you know, if you look at where we got the performance, but high tech component of today's market um, may not be what the healthier market pundits want, but it was certainly like old times today. Yeah, what was sort of puzzling, Karen, was the move or, or the lack of movement in the bond market. I mean, we saw actually two-year yields come down on the back of all this, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, very surprising. I don't, I don't really get it, to be honest. Um, I couldn't explain that to you. You know, I had tweeted this morning, if you had told me everything Jay Powell was going to say and said, go make money on that, I would not have been able to do so. And that is true. Somebody wisely tweeted back, sell the information of what he's going to say. That would be the only way that I would have made money on this. I guess that for the high flyers with the high multiples, uh, maybe it was buy the rumor, sell the news. Nothing that he said was that shocking, really. I, maybe it was a tad, I thought, a tad more hawkish in that um, uh, of when the rates and how many, how many times they would raise. But certainly the doubling of the pace of the taper, that was absolutely telegraphed very well before. So I don't know if there was that much new. So I think it was just a sort of oversold condition and a, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news or the opposite of that, that it was oversold, we knew it was coming, and then this relief rally. But to me, I'm staying positioned the same. I want to be in things that have relatively low PEs. I do think we're going to still have inflation. I do think the Fed will hike aggressively. And I do think that the economy in the short term will grow. So even with that, I, I don't know what to make of any, particularly the two-year, I don't get it. 
Yeah. I mean, the other way to interpret this all potentially, Steve, is that the market pullback that we saw in the move higher in the two-year yield that we saw in the past month or so, that was all digesting what the Fed had had sort of telegraphed through that testimony at the end of November, the Powell pivot, so to speak. And so if that's the case, is it just off to the races at this point? Because we saw how the markets would react to all this in advance. And here we are, you know, ready to take off. I'm going to go with that explanation. So I think it was a sell the rumor, <laughs> buy the news type of event. And when you look at the yields, to your point, what we've been seeing is a sell of the two-year, a buy of the 10-year. We have to see the reverse of that. So I think the markets, and Peter will give us his take on it, but people are worried about a, 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 um, a growth scare, if you will. I don't want to say recession, because I don't know how many people are really worried about a recession, but maybe uh, he could shed some light on that. So if they're worried and you see that, that's what the 10-year tells me. The, t- the lack of yield improvement in the 10-year tells me that the market is worried that we're headed towards some sort of, an, uh, of a recession or some sort of back to normalcy. I think that the Fed is so far behind that they're ahead. It, it, it makes sense to me thinking that everyone thought he was behind. He should have been raising rates. And now even uh, the most ardent person who, who thinks that we should be raising rates at this point will say that the variant probably gives him a get-out-of-jail-free card. And I, I don't know why he's marrying himself to speeding it up, but he's not speeding up raising rates. He's just speeding up the taper. And I think people are still getting confused with the two. I, I was a little confused that that's so far behind that he's ahead. I'm still kind of thinking about that. <laughs> but uh, Pete Nigerian, what did what track. Your, yeah. Think of a track. <laughs> yeah. You're so far behind, you're leading. Yeah, yeah. It, it took me a while. I'm slow here. Um, Pete, what, what did you make of, of the message you, of the Fed, <laughs> the Fed today? And if this is the case, yeah. then in the, is the correction that we saw in the higher valuation stocks, was that it for them? <laughs> I don't know if that's it for them, Mel, because I think in a lot of cases it's a fundamental story on top of everything else when you're talking about these high multiple stocks. But I think what we've heard from Chairman Powell has been exactly what he said. He said he was, he was very clear. I think he's been very transparent. We got basically what Chairman Powell has been saying he's going to do. And I think that was the relief. People were very comfortable with that. Now, the speeding up of of the taper and so forth. I think that was fairly predictable, right? I mean, I think the reality is that most of us were expecting that. I think they've telegraphed that as well. So I think when you really look at it, what we got was what we wanted. We got what he had told us we were going to get, and that's exactly where we were. And because of that, we had that radical turn. I mean, we were in negative territory pretty strong early on before this unbelievable run to the upside. Actually, we got to flat right before that number and, and, and the Fed. And this explosive move to the upside, now both closing the Dow and the NASDAQ up over 300 points. So really, really impressive day. I think volatility really stood out for me as well, Mel, because we were getting a pretty good spike today in volatility as we were on the negative side of things. And how fast that came out, that was dramatic. I think that was something that really stood out for me as well. What surprised me, uh, Tim, today, and maybe I'm just glass half hawkish uh, in general, is when he was, you know, in the in the press conference, he was talking so much about um, the rapid progress they were making towards maximum employment. And that's the last thing that they need to cross 
um, in order to start raising rates, right? They, they've clearly gotten the inflation thing ticked off, and it's just maximum employment at this point. And it's a judgment call, which he made very clear. It's not, it's not a numerical call. It's not a target being hit. Um, and I thought that was pretty hawkish. So I, I sort of didn't get the market well, reaction off to the races. And you're such a sunny person that you, you don't lean hawkish. You, 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 know, you, you lean in, in at least a, a, a general direction of sun. And I think if you think about this, um, look, the Fed now tells you they're going to go three times next year, three times in 2023 and a couple times in 2024. Like, I, I don't think that, that you have to be hawkish or dovish to, to, to read where, first of all, the markets are telling you right now, essentially where the Fed has told you, and, and, and say that more Fed equals more volatility. So I'm not loving today's outcome. Um, I do think relative to expectations, uh, the, the Fed met the market where they wanted on the taper, uh, and, and I think they possibly were less hawkish than, than your hawkish stance. So again, I, I, I like the fact that the Fed is at least getting out there. I think the market's rewarding the Fed uh, probably too little too late. Uh, but more importantly, I think we've got a, a, a two-year period of tightening ahead of us, and that doesn't excite me as an equity investor. Yeah. All right. For more on this, let's bring in Peter Bookfar, CIO of Bleakley Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. Uh, Peter, great to have you with us. What did you make of the market reaction to the Fed today? Well, I actually think Karen said it right earlier that it was just a positioning thing. When you think about the rest of the year, this was really the last major event. And since Powell sort of lined it up to what the market was expecting, it was enough to, to have this rally. And any worries that people have say, you know what, I'll deal with it in 2022 and just reposition for the last two weeks of the year. Hey, Peter, it's Karen. Thanks for coming on. Do you, did you read, I guess, the half hawkish? Um, and do you think we are at that maximum unemployment? So there's nothing stopping them from hiking. Well, to what Steve said also was that they are speeding up the QE, obviously, ending it, and reiterating that they're going to go really slow with rate hikes. I mean, keep in mind, they raised three times next year. The Fed funds rates 75 basis points to one, still deeply negative real rates. They raise again three times in 2023, and we'll probably have still deeply negative real interest rates. So it's a glacial pace of rate hikes but the quick uh, ending of QE. And also keep in mind, QE influences asset prices and financing the U.S. Treasury. They're ending that quickly. That's $1.44 trillion program that's going to zero in a few months, whereas what will directly impact economic demand is obviously the Fed funds rate and inflation, and they're, and, and they're going to go really slow with that. Um, too little too late is how we paraphrased how you stand, Peter. And so... What, what is the too little part of this all? Well, it's, it's really the rate story. Because as I said, QE is just influencing asset prices. If you want to directly slow demand to recalibrate supply and demand, well, that's the Fed funds rate. And the Fed is telling you they may not touch that until May of June of 2022. And even when they do, they're going to go very slow in raising them. So, Peter, when you when you look out on the spectrum here and I talked about uh, a recession, is this is this what you think the 10 year is worried about? Why it's stubbornly low? Am I focused on the wrong thing? You know, tell tell me why I should be looking at and I know you're more 
pessimistic than, than myself on the markets, but what do you think the 10-year is telling us? I think we have to look at the whole yield curve. If you look at the beginning of QE in 2009, it pays to steepen the curve when the Fed is easing, and it pays to flatten it when they're tightening. Because each round of tightening usually ends when there's some sort of accident or something breaks, which then results in them pulling back, whether it's the economy that buckles or markets do, and the Fed then stops. So to me, the, the flattening is just a natural reaction to the beginning of a tightening cycle, however slow or however uh, whatever pace it uh, takes place at. So how, how would a portfolio be positioned then, Peter, for this, what you're calling big mistake of the Fed? I mean, how does, how does this big mistake play out in the market? Well, because they will be very slow in dealing with inflation, I'm still very bullish on, on commodity stocks, energy uh, with oil and gas, agriculture specifically, fertilizers. Uh, I've been very bullish on gold and silver, which has been a painful trade in 2021, considering that uh, the inflation story was right, uh, but the metals trade was not. Uh, but I think that people were reminded today that, again, the Fed's going to be very slow in dealing with the inflation aspect uh, with respect to demand, and that real rates are going to stay very negative for many years to come, and that gold and silver could be a beneficiary of that. All right, Peter, great to get your take. Thanks. Peter Bookbar, Bleakley Advisory Group. Um, so that's the Powell stumble basket, if you will. Steve, are you a buyer of that basket? I, I, I'm still a buyer of the word transitory. I think that when we enter the, the first quarter, I think we're going to see a lot of the supply demand uh, you know, yeah, flatten out a bit. I, I don't think we're going to have persistent inflation. So I think it's going to shock people that rates are actually gonna come in pretty hard versus ratcheting up. So I wouldn't necessarily be a buyer of that basket. Pete, I'm curious, what did you do on the back of the Fed decision today? You know, it was not so much of what I did on the back of that, it was before the Fed decision, because mm. I think that, that, like I say, I think he's been extremely trans transparent, Mel, and he has been, I think, almost since he's been sitting in that big chair of his. So. Because of that, I felt very comfortable buying a lot of different things today. As a matter of fact, the option markets were telling me nothing other than, hey, look, there's, there's upside to this. If I told you the number of technology names, semiconductor names that were hitting on the unusual options for the upside, the bullish side, you'd be absolutely shocked. And that was all morning, all the way up until that 1 o'clock, and then everything took off, whether it's NVIDIA, you look at Apple, you look at Microsoft, you look at you know, all of the different semiconductors. Marvell was one of them. All of those took off to the upside. So it was more of a preparation into it rather than uh, waiting to hear the number and then reacting. And unfortunately, the options markets really did lay out a really great path for me today based upon, I think, how transparent he's been and he stuck to the plan. All right. Coming up, we're diving into the M&A world in search of the next big deal. Could there be some mergers brewing in the biotech space? More on that in just a few. But first, we're all over the earnings action in Lennar. Shares on the move in the after hours. We've got the details next. Fast Money is back in two. Don't go anywhere. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. 
To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Lennar. Shares are sharply lower in the after hours on results. Let's get to Diana Olick with the details. Diana. Well, Melissa, it's because it was a bit of a mixed bag on Lennar. We saw a miss on EPS, but a beat on revenue. New orders were up just 2%, but Lennar chairman Stuart Miller referred to them as, quote, controlled new orders in the release. A lot of the builders have been limiting their sales because they're concerned they won't be able to deliver on time due to supply chain issues and labor issues. Co-CEO John Jaffe was quoted saying, during the quarter, our home building machine continued to be laser focused on production even while our cycle time expanded about two weeks from the third quarter, driven by rapidly changing supply chain issues. Now, the impact of supply chain issues and increased cycle times were partially offset by accelerated construction starts throughout the year, he said. Lennar's backlog up 26 percent from a year ago. Really interesting to me here, though, is prices. The average price of a Lennar home in Q4 was $448,000, up from $393,000 a year ago. Next year's guidance, four hundred and six. 60,000. So it looks like rising mortgage rates are not overriding demand. People are willing to pay a lot. Still, a few misses on guidance. Both new orders and deliveries fell short of analysts' expectations. Melissa? When we take a look at that projection for home prices, the 460K, Diana, I mean, are those homes that are being sold right now so you know what those average prices are going to be? Or, or do we expect that to sort of adjust if we do see a rise in, in mortgage rates? Well, that's the guidance for next year. So you have to believe that mortgage rates may play some into it. We saw a huge jump on Toll Brothers average price, and they're the luxury home builder. But we're seeing the bulk of the action on the higher end. So when you look at these average prices, they're not the median. So you're seeing that that activity is skewing higher. But when it's average, that's the homes that are selling are the higher priced homes. And also the builders appear to be just factoring all these higher costs for land, labor, materials into that higher price. And I guess if the buyers are willing to pay it, then they're going to sell it. Yep. Diana, thank you. Diana Olick with uh, Lennar Results. Karen, what do you make of these? Well, I'm sort of surprised with that. As you point out, the price is being higher, that the expectation for margin expansion is actually a little bit muted. I would think that they could not only capture the increased cost they have, but add on something extra just because they, they have... Uh, efficiencies or, you know, demand is there. So that was, I guess, a little bit of a, of a downer, I guess, why the stock is not doing well. It's interesting to hear on top of what Lowe's said today about, you know, maybe this cycle is peaking. I think people thought that Lowe's was just sandbagging a little bit. So not terrible earnings for sure, but uh, it had a nice run going into these earnings for Lennar. Yeah. And what a turnaround for Lowe's, by the way, um, during the session. If we were to play Would You Rather, I know Pete would say he would rather something else, not Lennar. 
Yeah. Well, for me, it would be Dr. Horton, and, I, and it, they're they're very similar companies, quite honestly. Mel, we're talking about single-family homes, and we're talking about a lot of the same issues that all, everybody has to face. There are the labor issues that Diana laid out for us, as lo- also with those supply issues. So there's a combination of different things playing against them right now. But when you look at their numbers, yes, they missed the numbers that were expected, at least in terms of the earnings. But I got to tell you something, they were expecting a 47% jump year over year. So they didn't quite get that, but they got something not that far away. So I, I still think this is a very strong company. It's not overpriced. They've been able to grow into themselves. I like Lennar, but I'll tell you what, I still prefer DR, DR Horton. Yeah. Um, you know, P- Peter Bookfar was saying that the pace of, of the, red, uh, the Fed rate hikes um, is going to be glacial, even if they kept with three next year and three the, the following. So the impact of mortgage rates and higher mortgage rates, Tim, I mean, sh- do you think that's much of an impact for this overall strong, strong market? Well, I, I think we've, we've seen home builders at times be sensitive, but if anything, they've been breathing a sigh of relief for the second half of the year. And, and a lot of that is, uh, I think, the, the view that rates can't go that much higher. Um, I think the big issue in the home building sector is affordability and in the housing sector overall. I mean, I think, and this is where the Fed has created a bubble. They've created an environment that's great for the home builders, um, but there's still an affordability issue. So the, the, the backlogs have increased. I, I still think, and I, and I know Lowe's was out there with some caution, stock uh, still finished up 2% on the day. And here's Lennar with a different kind of, you know, a guide that's disappointing and, and down significantly after hours. Look, the, the home improvement stores are the way to play this. And, and then you, you slip into the furnishings and so when Sonoma and restoration. The, the, the multiples around the board there are, are not demanded, uh, especially not at Williams and, and restoration. They trade kind of high teens, low 20s. Um, and, and ultimately, Home Depot and Lowe's, to me, are in the sweet spot of a cycle that still says the consumer's going to spend. And the appreciation in the house is what works for them. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what is coming up next. We're on the lookout. Are there any deals brewing in the biotech space? The traders are merging into this trade next. Plus, don't blink, or you might miss this next fast pitch. Our own Pete Nigerian is stepping up to the mound to throw some heat. The name he says is a total home run investment. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to Fast Money Checkout. Farmer giant Eli Lilly jumping nearly 10% today after releasing a strong updated guidance. The company raising its 2021 outlook and projecting to a larger than expected jump for 2022. Lilly also saying it expects to submit its Alzheimer's drug to the FDA for approval by the end of Q1. Um, Pete, do you like Lilly? I do, and I kick myself almost every day that I'm not in there, Mel, and I I felt like I was chasing it before, but the stock just continues to go to the upside. It's been an incredible run. Their pipeline has been delivering. I also would say that when you look across and you look at a Merck, that's disappointing for me. I happen to be one of the owners of that one, but Pfizer's kept up very nicely with Lilly, so I've got a little bit of a comparison there, but I'll tell you what, when I look at the company, they've been doing everything right. They've been efficient. They've been smart. The way they've attacked things from the pipeline side of things and how much they are delivering delivering and bringing to the public, especially over the next decade, another 20 or so drugs are sitting there. So I'm very impressed with what they've been able to do. Unfortunately, I've missed this one, but great company and their execution is outstanding. All right. Well, while it's been a good year for Big Pharma, the same can't be said for the broader biotech space. Check out the XBI, NASDAQ Biotech ETF. It is down nearly 20 percent this year as investors pulled their money out of COVID beneficiaries and into the recovery trade. As the Wall Street Journal points out today, the only winners in this space this year made two things. Vaccines and deals. (laughs) But that's not all bad news because those winners are now flush with cash, eager to splash it around on some of these underperforming biotech names. Our next guest has got a few ideas about what those next major takeout targets could be. Let's bring in Jeffrey's healthcare and biotech analyst, Michael Yee. Michael, always great to see you. Great to see you. Is there a theme to the the targets that you're identifying in terms of maybe expertise in certain spaces or, or certain kinds of drugs? Uh, It's a great question. You know, I certainly think the theme is, number one, uh, huge blockbuster opportunities and big drugs that can move the needle at guys like Pfizer, Lilly, Merck, et cetera. We need big drugs. We need big blockbuster drugs to move the needle. So that's obviously a key theme uh, to think about. And I've got a couple of those for 2022. Yeah. Can you can you run me through your your highest conviction one? Uh, Well, I'd say a couple of them are Genics, ticker uh, ARGX, assuming approval this week on a big blockbuster drug. Uh, Marathi, MRTX, with a huge lung cancer, uh, KRAS drug. And Alnylam, ALNY, a uh, huge opportunity there as well. All of these, uh, certainly people thinking about for 2022. Is there any concern on your part? Because there had been a concern at one point that, you know, if you're, if you're big enough to make a deal and you've got the cash, that you've also got enough cash and enough wherewithal to make a big mistake. Could we be entering that territory at this point or, or have valuations come down so much that that the that the size of the mistake is more limited? Well, uh, you know, I think on some of these opportunities, the drugs are certainly well de-risked enough uh, that people should feel comfortable, uh, certainly relative to the size of these acquisitions, 10, 20, 25, 30 billion dollars in total relative to the size of Pfizer or Lilly or Merck. And I'd also say, quite frankly, you know, look, these companies are so flush with cash. Pfizer, over $50 billion just from COVID revenues in the last two years. Huge Powerball, you know, winner there that these guys probably have to deploy some of that. So I think people expect that to happen. I think these guys have to move on it. And I think that could be a big tailwind for the biotech sector. Hey, Michael, it's Tim. For investors that are not staring at the space like you are every single day, it's interesting. There's serious skew or spread between the valuations. I mean, Lilly trades, even with this uh, up guidance next year, 31, 32 times, um, you've got a Merck trading lower. Help people understand why this spread is the way it is and and really who you like at what price. That's that's a great question. You know, 
maybe always uh, kind of like in a lot of sectors, though, it's the haves and the have-nots. Everyone wants to crowd into the haves. Chart looks great. Momentum looks great. Lily beats numbers, raise guidance. Everyone thinks it's great, and they want to be there. Then you got guys like a Vertex, which is probably my conviction idea for 2022. You pull up that chart. That has been terrible all year long. There's a big overhang on some competitor cystic fibrosis data from Appy. I think that data won't look great. I think Vertex certainly has a lot of white space to move up in 2022. So that's a huge situation. It's been very bad in large-scale biotech. I certainly think Vertex could be one to turn it around. Michael, thank you. Good to see you. Michael Yee of Jefferies. Karen, I want to go to you quickly on, on Pfizer. I'm curious how you think about the $50 billion in cash and, and the need, so to speak, to do a deal. Because the need to do a big deal could be a big mistake or it could be a home run. Yeah, although, you know, a big mistake for them isn't necessarily a big mistake, just given how big they are. But mm. I, I hope that they do smart deals. We did see them. do. We saw a couple deals this week, right? Um, I, I like Pfizer a lot. I, I actually like all the, the big cap farmer just because I like the uh, low P.E. multiples and growth. So uh, this is a place where I have meaningful amount of exposure. All right. Uh, we did see one biotech name seeing huge action in the options pits today. Let's get to Tony Zane to break down the action. Tony. Yeah, Melissa, uh, Veer Biotech today doesn't trade very uh very frequently, about 700 contracts on average daily. Today, on the announcement of the preclinical uh, data this morning, we saw over 19 times that, over 13,000 contracts were traded as their drug seems to be effective against the Omicron uh, variant. So the particular trade that I'm looking at was very heavily participated by retail traders. Around 200 and over 200 plus trades were traded in the December 55 call options that expire in just two days, purchased on an average price of about $1.84. That translates to another 10% move on top of the 12% move we've seen here today by this Friday, just the break even. So you really need to see about 15% gains on this particular stock by Friday in order for these trades to be profitable. So very bullish bet over a very short period of time. All right, Tony, thanks. Tony Zhang for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, shares of Roblox plummeting today after the company released some key metrics or users fleeing the metaverse. <laughs> more on that in just a few. But first, Pete is going to step up to the mound to throw out a fast pitch. The one payment player he says is a total home run investment. We'll bring you the name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The pit boss is going bottom fishing in one payment stock. He's warmed up and ready to fast pitch it for us. So, Pete, take it away. All right. I'm going to give you the pioneering in electronic payments. And when I talk about pioneering, that's PayPal. This is an incredible company. We all have loved it for a really, really long period of time. I'll tell you why we love it so much, Mel. It got way in front of itself, first of all. But the C-suite, the, the guys that have been sitting at the top, the acquisitions that they have made have been absolutely extraordinary. As a matter of fact, when you look at what Daniel Shulman's done, he's, he's absolutely been rolling up company after company after company. Before he got there, 2012, they bought Venmo. That was a monstrous buy. So they've been aggressive for a long period of time in acquiring others. And I think that's important. When you look at what's been going on recently, we've seen some insider buyers started at 205, 
went down to 189, then went all the way down to 180 with some size of some of those buyers from inside that, uh, that area. So that's something that I think really does stand out. When I look at the fundamental side of this company, it was trading at an 80 PE. It was way too far in front of itself. It has pulled back significantly, Mel. And now we're sitting in the, if you look at the forward PE, somewhere in the mid 30s. So that's a much more tolerable level. When I looked with cash position versus debt, they're in a very nice spot there. They've got about twice as much cash as they do debt. I like that as well. And then when you look at the five-year annualized out, when you look at where their revenue growth is, that's at 18%. Their earning growth, that's at about 28%. And the performance of the stock, that's about 36%. These are all five-year annually rolling. So amazing company. They've built something that I think is huge. And on top of all that, they also have that crypto side of them as, as well with wallet. So there's a lot of reasons to like this name. It was too expensive. I recently bought it on this dip. And hopefully, uh, I, I could see that there could be even more to the downside, but I think there's far more upside than downside from here. Steve Grassle's got a question. Okay, so Pete, when you talk about insiders, Shulman actually sold, uh, there are insiders that bought, but the top person there uh, made a sale. So I know there's plenty of reasons why people can sell stock. There's only one reason why people sure. could, will, will buy stock, but that would be a flag for me. Are you buying it more on technicals right now? Because on technicals, I'm, I'm all on board with you. Fundamentals, the, the fact that they were looking at acquisitions makes me think that their growth has slowed so considerably that they're looking elsewhere for that. Okay. Uh I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I think that they still have plenty of growth, when, especially when you look at the crypto side of things with wallet. On top of that, think of some of those purchases. They've been doing this for a long time, Steve, so I don't think it's out of panic, out of a growth panic. I think they're just wanting to add to what they've already got in terms of growth going forward. So, um, I, I, And by the way, with Shulman, is that something that is set up for them to sell? And that sometimes we don't always keep up with whether or not that's the case as well. So um, that's why I disregarded that. But I think that's an important point. Shulman did sell a pretty good sizable amount of shares. All right. No more questions. It is time to vote. So are you buying Pete's pitch on PayPal? Tim Seymour, what do you say? Mel, I don't know if you see that. That's Pete in the middle of a, a baseball diamond <laughs> and in the middle of a baseball lockout. It's nice to see Pete hitting a home run here. He touched them all. Uh, again, he got into valuation. He got into the stock. He got into the revenue growth that I think is well-priced in. PayPal, I like the call, Pete. Huh. All right. So Chuck Thanks. went up to the buy column. Uh, Grasso, what do you say? I'm not going to let the fundamentals get in the way of a good technical story. This thing is sitting right at support. I'm a buyer. It's sitting right at support from November 2020. It stopped on a dime at that level. This is a great entry point technically. All right, two buys. Karen, what do you say? Yeah, I'm with Pete. Wow. Uh, three months ago, I couldn't have been. The valuation would have been just too high, but I love that it's come in so much. I love they're trying to be everywhere payments are. So I'm with Pete. A rare, clean sweep. So the desk has spoken. It is now your turn out there. Are you buying Pete's fast pitch on PayPal? Head on over to our Twitter poll. Vote at CNBC Fast Money. We'll bring you the results later in the show. Coming up, shares of Roblox dropping after the company released some disappointing metrics. We'll tell you what had investors logging off when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Campbell's. Catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now with all the info on your screen. Time now for our call of the day. Check out shares of UPS revving up on the back of two bullish notes. UBS naming the shipper one of its top picks for 2022. Analysts at the firm expecting ongoing pricing gains to provide upside for the company. The stock also getting upgraded to a buy at City. Analysts pointing to the pricing environment and the company's disciplined execution as tailwinds for the stock. Karen, you're in this one, so you like this call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do what, like, like this call. Mm-hmm. I'm in this one. Uh, you Carol Tomei has been telling us that's what they're going to do, right? They're going to forego revenue to have better margin revenue. And so they traded a much higher multiple than FedEx, which reports tomorrow. They deserve a much higher multiple. This this, uh, upgrade is predicated on execution, which they've done. FedEx trading at 13 times, maybe a little less than that, actually, 12 and change times. It's priced for inefficiencies, and I believe they will deliver inefficiencies tomorrow. I don't doubt it. But if they can just get a hint of margin improvement. They also have uh, UPS raising prices as sort of cover for them to do so as well. So I own them both. Unfortunately, I own more FedEx than I do UPS, but I'm sticking with them both. Yeah, the UBS call caught my attention in that it highlighted rail as being their real first. I mean, they, they like UPS, of course, as we highlighted, but rail is, is really where they're excited, Tim. Yeah, they said intermodal and rail are kind of delayed effects also of increased fluidity in the port situation. And so just, you know, some of the congestion around supply chains. Yeah, I like the call. And again, you have to believe uh, this is a world where we have better than expected uh, at least growth from where the markets believe. And also, you know, the Fed doesn't overstep their bounds. But transports have been uh, challenging. And, And UPS, by the way, has been so ahead of of the pack. In fact, Karen hit the only issue she didn't hit because it is about margin. It is about execution. It's just that UPS has outperformed FedEx by 40 percent in the last calendar year. Forty four zero. Wow. So um, I think that's part of why, you know, FedEx, as Karen pointed out, uh, I think people understand where they need to improve. I think there's a lot uh, of ground they can make back up. Yeah. So would you rather, Steve, FedEx or UPS? (laughs) Uh, UPS. So when Tim just pointed out the outperformance, UPS has grown earnings by 40 percent over the last year versus FedEx growing earnings by 5 percent. So there you go with the outperformance as as a real fundamental reason why. Also, UPS has less of uh, an internationally revenue exposed uh, area versus FedEx. So maybe with the with travel and and uh, the pandemic, that is exacerbating FedEx's problems here. So for, for Karen, maybe you're going to get a, a, a good catch-up trade in the months ahead, but the would-you-rather right now has to be UPS for the obvious reasons. The notion of the catch-up trade on FedEx, you mean, Steve? That... Yes. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Pete, would you go with that? Would you go with the catch-up? Would you go with the, with the stock that's ex- executing right now? Yeah, I'm going to go with the execution because, as Tim pointed out, that 40% dip differential, I mean, it's unbelievable. If you look at almost every quarter, three, a quarterly, you could go yearly, you could go year-to-date, whatever you want, UPS is outperforming. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the efficiencies of the company, the fact that they're focused more on ground than they are on international. I think they're in the right spot. They've been in the right spot, and I think that continues going forward. 
All right. Um, we, let's get to our buzzkill here on Roblox. Shares of the online game platform tumbling after the company released new metrics from last month showing a decline in daily active users from October. The stock dropping 9%. I thought the metaverse is where it was going on. Pete, what's your take? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a, you know, it's interesting because when we had option activity in Roblox, which we have not for a while, it was all throughout October, all the way into November. And November, actually, the last expiration cycle that they bought, Mel, was December 3rd. And that's about the time where the stock was basically hitting highs and then had this huge tumble to the downside, if, especially if you include today even further. So I, I got to tell you something. I think it's really interesting. It shows you how much the options world really has been very foretelling in terms of they jumped out, the bulls all left, and suddenly we watched this stock go from 134 all the way underneath $100 a share. It says a lot about what's going on. This is a company, a high multiple company, of course. And so that, I think, is another thing that they're caught up in right now. Those high multiples, people have their hands out and they're selling them. All right, coming up, the crypto comeback, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and more jumping after the Fed announcement. So is this turnaround for real? We will debate that. Plus, there is still time. Are you out there buying Pete's Fast Pitch on PayPal? Head on over to our Twitter poll. Cast your vote at CNBC Fast Money. we got the results straight ahead. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. The cryptocurrencies, uh, you know, that are really uh, speculative assets, uh, I don't see them as a financial stability concern uh, um, at the moment. I do think they are risky. They're not backed by anything. And um, uh, I think there's a there's big consumer, uh, consumer issues for consumers who may or may not understand what they're getting. That was Fed Chair Jerome Powell talking crypto during his press conference earlier today, despite the concerns investors didn't care, really. A Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies erased earlier losses and jumped higher after the comments. So did crypto, crypto proxies like MicroStrategy, Marathon Digital, Riot Blockchain, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Um, clearly, the sort of green light for a riskier trade, Tim, helped this. So what did you make of the action? Sorry, I, that, that was extraordinary music. Um, it, what's also interesting about the Powell comments is... That's all I got to hear. I didn't. I couldn't see anything. I just heard this. It was magical good music. Sound, if we could so just play it on a loop, that would be really amazing. I, 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 don't <laughs> I don't know what it was. So interesting. You know, he talks about crypto assets not being backed by anything. I mean, I hate to point this out, but neither is the dollar. Um, so you know, there there is some sense of really, it's what you're willing to to be supportive of, and I not comparing the two. Um, I do think we've seen a, a couple of these moments. In fact, there's been an argument that sometimes crypto has, has led some of the pullbacks we've seen in the last two or three months. Some of it is around expectations of liquidity conditions overall. So uh, I, I, look, I, I think institutionally, the fact that the Fed is even having a conversation around uh, crypto and addressing it um, tells you where there's a lot of folks that are buying pullbacks. And, and, and I think their understanding that a pullback could be 20, 30, 40 percent is part of the reason these things run the way they do. Um, but so far, that's been bought every single time. Yeah, the not backed by anything comment was, I mean, there's a reason why you call it fiat currency. Um, Grasso, what's your take on the crypto trade? Are you in some of the miners? I, I'm not, but uh, MARA, the one you mentioned, that, mm -hmm. that's an interesting one. It's up 270 percent year to date, I, I think the fact, it doesn't really matter what politicians or what uh, Fed officials say about crypto. It's the fact that they're talking about it. So the more the conversation takes place, 
the more investors feel more familiar with it and are more apt to invest in it. Tom Lee brought up that stunning stat that 20% of the new homes that were bought were bought on crypto profits. I think people want the idea of a dollar and a dream, and they want to buy these crypto tokens, coins, currencies, anything and everything, all the above, and have a day to win the lottery or, or possibly win the lottery. So the investment will stay static in this space. A doge and a dream, Karen. <laughs> that should be the motto for 2021. <laughs> um, what is the environment for investing in crypto yeah. next year, you think? What's the backdrop? I still think it's pretty good. I do still think that institutional adoption has a long way to go. So that's a lot of potential buying there. Um, I, I can't imagine we'll have, you know, uh, that Ethereum will have a year next year like it had this year. Bitcoin maybe could. I don't know. But uh, it's so volatile. You've got to be prepared for that. But to me, even if the Fed is, you know, doing the right thing here, there's still the argument about fiat currencies and digital currencies is still there. So I'm long. It's volatile. I got to be prepared to lose a fair amount of money in a short amount of time. I am prepared. I'm staying with it for a while, certainly through next year. Pete, what's your favorite crypto? <laughs> Uh, God, that's a great question. I like a lot of the names that feed into it. I mean, you guys are talking about Marathon, there's Riot, there's Coinbase. There's a lot of different names that I think you can choose from. I've been in just about every one of those names over the last year or so. Right now, I'm actually pretty clean, other than the fact that I do like some of the semiconductors because of the positioning that they've got going in for the crypto side of things. But I tell you what, it, it is interesting to hear Powell say that, you know, what's backing it or nothing's backing it, uh, to Tim's point, because I smiled when I heard that as well. It, it, it's just something that I think we're seeing most, most everybody is starting to really embrace this, Mel. I, I mentioned that with PayPal, by the way, with Wallet. I, there's a lot more adoption of this than I think meets the eye. And because of that, I think it is becoming something very, very real for those who don't believe in it. I think they're wrong. All right. Well, speaking of PayPal, you can vote now on whether or not you're buying or selling Pete's fast pitch on PayPal. Head on over to Twitter. The poll is there. Vote at CNBC Fast Money. We'll bring you the results next and we'll have your final trade. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Well, the people have spoken and they say, giddy up. <laughs> Pete, your PayPal fast pitch was a home run. <laughs> 75% of the home viewers agree. They say, yes, PayPal is a buy right Smoke here. It. That is, I don't know if it's, maybe it's unprecedented. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty darn good. Um, time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Pete, take it away. What's your final trade? Mel, I got to tell you, after getting that number, I got to go with PayPal. I do think it's bouncing. I do think it's going higher. Tim Seymour. So we had a, a big chat on pharma, big cap pharma today, and we really didn't talk about J&J, the company that I think has the most balance between their pipeline and medical devices and broader exposure to the sector. J&J is underperformed this year. I think it's time. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, on the heels of that Bitcoin conversation, I like Coinbase down $100 from its high not so long ago. And they just staked out a great land grab for crypto wallets. $100 from its high? That's amazing. I'm Steve yeah. Grasso. So we started off the show with, with uh, Mr. Powell, and we talked about rates. If he is going to raise rates, if rates are moving higher, even at a glacial pace, pace say that twice, you want to be buying the, uh, the uh, I'm sorry, the economic tied stocks, Trinseo, T-S-E. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Out There. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts now.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.